Now today, uh, we're going to, the focus is going to be still on prophecy, but perhaps the content is going to be a little different today. Because you remember now, uh, thus far in our prophecy series, we have looked at um, what we've called panorama of prophecy. And we've seen what uh, Paul thinks about the last days. We went to Second Thessalonians, and we had a panorama of Paul's perception of the last days, being very detailed as the sequence and so on. Then we went to uh, the Oliver Discourse with Jesus Christ, and he gives also his panoramic view of the last days. And again, he's interested, he's concerned about sequence of event and the proper timing of these events. He says it's important to have the sequence in order, otherwise we could become disturbed, we could become unsettled, we could be led astray by false teaching. And then, of course, we went to Daniel, and he gives us a panoramic view of the end days. In fact, he gives more of a detailed view of the end days than any other prophet in Scripture. We will be spending more time with Daniel uh, in days ahead, should we be around. Uh, because you know something could happen, right? What is it? There you go. And I don't know about you, but I'll be gone, you know. So you might have to look for another preacher at that time. Anyway, we want to continue our emphasis. We want to continue our emphasis now by showing how specific current world events are impacting affirming, validating biblical prophecy. We have waited and now until this time to do this because usually we get lost in these exciting things about this hooked up with this prophecy, this hooked up with that prophecy, and so on, and we forget what prophecy is all about. And of course, prophecy is the testimony, the story about Jesus Christ. It all has to do with Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, having said that, it is still important for us to be able to read the signs of the times. That's why we have called this particular uh, message the, the times of the signs because we believe that many of the signs are now being realized today. <clears throat> and so we are going to be showing you some illustrations today, more than we've done before. We'll go to some scriptures, then we will show you some videos taken from real life, not made up by preachers or so on, but news items and stories just to show you how the Word of God is coming alive today. Now, one of the major prophecies in the Scriptures relate to what Bible, scroll, Bible scholars call the revival of the Roman Empire. Some call it the revised Roman Empire. But really, it is the revival because, in essence, as we'll see, as we go through history, all of the major nations and pies of the world were conquered by another one, except for Rome. Rome was not conquered. It just sort of faded away. But now, as we'll see, it's coming back together. But the prophet Daniel is the key figure here. He came into prominence as a prophet, and he was called not only to interpret the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was his captor at the time, but he was also to reveal what the dream was. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar knew that the guys he had were not uh, 
they were not really true guys at all. They were not faithful all the way through. And so he put a test to him. He says, now, you interpret my dreams when I tell you what the dream is. But now what I want you to do is tell me what I dreamt. And then tell me what it means. And that's kind of tough. I got a call the other day from a lady some days ago. She said she heard that I was an interpreter of dreams. <laughs> this is true. She really said that. I said, I'm sorry, you got the wrong information. Maybe you mean Alan Simonet or something like that. <laughs> she said, no, it was Alan Lee. I said, all right, well, what, is your, what is the dream? She says, well, I dreamt that there was a big, big rat hovering over the lighthouse on the, on the western side of the, the thing. And then all of a sudden, the clouds started to get dark and the lightning started to come. And then the dream went off. Say, Pastor Lee, you are an interpreter of dreams. Please tell me what that meant. I said, well, first of all, tell me what you ate before you went to sleep like that. <laughs> I didn't say it too harsh, but I really said that. I said, I really said, now, are you feeling okay and everything? I said, because I really, I am not an interpreter of dreams. The only thing I can say is you had a nightmare. But there's some people who really believe that these dreams are always happening. But Daniel, of course, was an interpreter of dreams. So we cannot discard all of these things they are so. We need the discernment of the Spirit. But Daniel was able to tell the king exactly what he dreamt, and also he's going to tell the meaning. Let's pick up the story in verse 32 of Daniel chapter 2. I want you to turn to your Bibles. I'll have it on the screen, but it's important you have your Bibles open as well. Verse 32 of Daniel 2. Remember, he dreamt about this huge statue, and Daniel now refers to it. He says, the head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and it crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. This is a vivid description how when God, when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom, he's going to destroy all the kingdoms of man at one time, one stroke. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom. I want you to notice the sequence again. You cannot turn these around. It has to be in this sequence. Paul emphasized the correct sequence. Jesus emphasized the correct sequence in the events, and so does Daniel. He says, then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushed 
crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and some will be brittle. It's amazing, it's amazing how precise and detailed the word of God is. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of man. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Here's a combination that will not combine. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all of these kingdoms. But in, it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushes the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Notice now it going from the top up. You first started to describe it, and it came into existence from the top down. When is it going to be destroyed? It's from the, top, from the bottom up, from the feet up. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it crushes the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. Notice that? The great God has made it known to the king what will take place in the future. The great God has done it. And that's what prophecy is all about. To establish the fact that only the true and living God, the great God, can tell the future. So that the dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. And let me give you a little illustration of this. Uh, Watching the screen, show you how these verses I've just read can be graphically portrayed. The times of the Gentiles is the prophetic title scholars give to the entire period described here, when the Gentiles will be in control, not the Jews. That's the time of the Gentiles. There's another reference to the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles. That has to do with the church. The period from Pentecost to the rapture is the fullness of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles has to do with this entire history period we just looked at. I want you to notice how the value of the material that represents a kingdom or nation decreases in value as it moves down from head to toe. It decreases in value. Head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron and clay. Daniel then explained the meaning of the great image like this. He says, the head of gold represents what? Babylon. That's the kingdom of the time. The arms and chest, silver, of silver, Persia, that hadn't come up yet. So all of this now is future here. He's actually talking about Medes and Persia here. The belly and thighs were Greece. The legs represented Rome. Now here is where the prophecy becomes very interesting. The feet and toes represent a revived Roman Empire, or what we could call Rome II. Now, we don't have time right now to deal with it in detail. We will eventually, I hope. But Daniel interprets the same historical events of world empires in Daniel chapter 7. The same 
world empires are described in Daniel chapter 7. But whereas in chapter 2, it is the king who is given the dream of the statue, in chapter 7, it is God who directly reveals this prophecy to Daniel. All right? In other words, he's going to show the nature, the character of the kingdoms of the world from a divine perspective. Whereas Nebuchadnezzar saw the nations as a magnificent image, God revealed them to Daniel as ferocious beasts, each representing the nature, the characteristic of the nature of the nation. And we'll be dealing with this some other time. But for instance, in chapter 7, Babylon is seen there as a winged lion, powerful, fast, quick. Persia is a bear leaning on one side because the Medes are coming in and it's going to take over. Greece is a leopard, fast also. Now look at what is said about Rome because that's our attention. They are focused. The fourth kingdom of iron is the Roman Empire according to Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The two legs are the divisions of the Roman Empire. By the way, many scholars forget this, that the Roman Empire was divided into two in two areas, a western and an eastern one. And many times they only focus on the western and forget the eastern. And I believe that's why they may be surprised when the man of sin comes and where he comes from. Because there seemed to be an oversight when it comes to understanding that the kingdom was divided. But the two legs are the divisions of the Roman Empire into an eastern portion called the Byzantine Empire that ended in around the 1400s. And the western portion based in Rome that ended in about uh, around the 400s sometime. The nations of Europe, since the Roman Empire dissolved, have never adhered or formed an empire again. They were all scattered, separated. But they continue, nonetheless, as separate nations. But now the EU, the European Union, which now has 27 members in, uh, member states, and is preparing to perhaps receive 30 or 31 others, they're starting to bring all of this back together again. And amazingly, it's the same geographical area that is being covered, although they have different names. But Rome too, Rome too, is starting to come together again. Now, I will be focusing on the EU in much more detail in later messages because so much there we have to see. But right now, I want to focus on the nature of this revived or reformed or redeveloped Roman Empire. And I'm doing this because, really, in all of my research, I don't see that much emphasis in this area. You know, they talk about all of the uh, individual nations, but they do not talk about the character, the character or the nature of this revived Rome. That's what I want to focus on. Listen, then, how God describes Rome in Daniel 7. I'll read from verse 7 of Daniel 7. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. I want you to notice how this beast, this Rome, is described. A fourth beast, dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. You notice that? It was different. Unique. And it had ten horns. This is not said about the others. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. 
And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. My goodness, what kind of an animal is this? Cannot even describe it. Nothing like this was seen before. This was a beast that could not be described. It was unique in its appearance and its makeup, its nature. Daniel could not describe it. Remember what he said in chapter 2? Look at verse 14, 43. Listen carefully now. This is why it's important to read the word of God carefully and in detail. This is a portion mentioned here that you could hardly find any commentators writing on. It's just amazing how they seem to overlook this. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine. You notice that word? Mix up. They will combine with one another, notice what it says, in the seed of men. You could hardly find any reference to commentators on this. What does it mean, combining with the seed of men? But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. This is a unique situation here. What does they will combine with one another in the seed of men mean? No one seems to know. And then I came across one guy. I used some of his graphics. Mizla. He's a rebel when it comes to prophecy. Because he focused on things most people don't focus on. And this is one of them. You remember the Bible says, As it was in the days of Norse, so shall it be when God comes back. You remember that? Do you remember what happened in the days of... Normally would say, well, they were all marrying and giving in marriage... That means everything is going to be just as normal. You're going to have divorce. You're going to have redo marriage. You're going to have all these. Everything is going as, you know, that's the focus. But you know what also happened in the days of Noah? The sons of God saw the daughters of women. I'm sorry, the daughters of men and took whom they would. Isn't that right? That happened in the days of Noah. Now, of course, the big question is, who are the sons of God? Some say they were angels. These angels came down, possessed men, who then took these women, and the result, the product, were these big giants. Goliath was one of them. They had seven, uh, what, 12 fingers or something, the 12 toes or whatever. They were distorted. They were abnormal. In other words, here is what the theory is now. I'm not saying this is it, but I just want you to show. The coming together, if these people were angels... The product were abnormal. You see? People said that's what it means with the mingling of the seed of men. Because there don't seem to be any other explanation. Of course, now the other explanation by others who don't believe that they were angels, but that these were the sons of Seth. They were the righteous people who mixed with the unrighteous people. Seth represented the seed of the woman, and the unrighteous represented what? The seed of the devil. And that's what was happening. But the point is... Something happened there that resulted in something that was abnormal. And this seems to be what is being referred to here about mingling with the sons of men. Now you've got to be thinking about this. We have all kinds of mysterious things happening today in the world. Spiritual things. Things people can't understand. Later on I'm going to be talking about UFOs. 
Uh, people say, are there anything, any such things as UFOs? Yeah, but we don't know what they is. We don't know what they are. But they see something, right? Now, what are they is the problem. Do, have they got anything to do with this? People say, oh, no, that's too far out. That's sci-fi stuff. Is that right? Where are the fallen angels? Where do they reside? Where do they reside? Some on earth, but some in this, what we would call probably the second heaven. Not in the third, but in the second heaven. They roam the heavens. Where are the planets? I just put that as a seed for you to think about. What I'm saying here, don't just think that these things are haphazard things. Read the scriptures. My point is here, something is happening in these days that we cannot explain. That's what's happening here with Rome. All right? Now, what is this reformed or revived Roman Empire all about? What is its nature? Now, you would think that if anybody would ask the leaders of the UE, what is the European Union? You'd think I'd be able to explain it, wouldn't you? If you just ask, what is the EU? For instance, I believe some of you will dare to answer that question. What is the EU? Wouldn't you? How many of you all know what the EU is? He does, he does. Well, all of you all know more than the chairman of EU himself. That's right. Listen to this now. I do a lot of research by looking at news reports, and I do go to YouTube and the EU news, uh, the EU uh, site and so on, they have all kinds of things there. But I was reading or listening to an interview and a press conference with Jose Manuel Barroso. He is the president of the European Commission. This is one of the most eerie moments I ever experienced in doing biblical research. Because I thought if there's anybody who could answer the question, what is the EU, it would be Mr. Barros. But I want you to listen carefully now. This video is four or five, five minutes old, I forgot how long. But I want you to listen especially to the end of it. Because now remember, he is answering a question by a reporter. What is the EU? And I want you to see this man who is the head of the commission here struggling to answer the question. And then I'll come back and tell you why I see it as validating the biblical revelation concerning the revived Roman Empire. Listen carefully, please. Not a super state, as you said. We are not the United States of Europe in the way we have the United States of America. We are not. At the same time, we are not also an um, international organization like NATO or OSCE or a Council of Europe or whatever, you see. We are, in fact, a very special construction, unique, unique in the history of mankind. We never had that kind of organization or, if you want, institutional creation where we have free countries that are united and that they have decided to work together with some degree of cooperation or even integration. That is what we are. And in fact, I don't see why we should be all the time um, with existential doubts about it. 
That is the way we have been doing, and I, I feel pretty comfortable in this, because um, we are adding value to what we do at national level. It's all, all of, of course obvious today that national dimension is not enough. It's a question of common sense. If you want to fight climate change, if you want to provide energy security, we cannot do it alone at the national level. We need more than that. We need European dimension. European dimension is the, in, the indispensable dimension through the local to the global. And the more globalization goes, and it's quite obvious that it is there to stay, we need that dimension more. But at the same time, we are not doing it in a way that we are creating a super state that is diluting the national identities, not at all. I honestly, I don't see a danger to British uh, or German or French identity. Anyone thinks that's a real risk now for... No, there is not such a risk. On the contrary, what we are seeing is that in this united um, project, we see precisely the affirmation of the differences and diversity that is only natural. And so this is the way we are. In fact, it's not very different from where we have been. That is why the rationale for this uh, reform was precisely to adapt to the new conditions, but keeping, after all, the great vision of the founding fathers of the community. What was the great vision of the founding fathers from Schumann to Monet to Adenauer to the others? Was a step-by-step -step approach to create a solidarité de fait, as we say in the Schumann uh, declaration, a solidarité de fait that brings people together and makes the case for you know, this is the way we are. Uh, some people said in this that we are a kind of unidentified political object. It's an interesting, an interesting uh, definition. And I think we should not be um, depressed with that. It's, a, um, anyway, a very successful experiment. I think, we, honestly, if you look at history of institutions, I mean, we never had such a thing. Sometimes I try to compare it. I'm sorry for my divagation, but that is, I was a scholar as well, you know. <laughs> That's a very risky question to put to me. Uh, because I was teaching these issues in the university for some time. And Sometimes I like to compare the European Union as a creation to the organization of empires. The empires. And uh, because we have the dimension of empires. But there is a great difference. The empires were usually made through force, with a center that was imposing a diktat, a will on the others. And now we have what some authors call the first non-imperial empire. We have, by dimension, 27 countries that freely decided to work together to pool their sovereignties, if you want to use that concept of sovereignty, and work together to add value. I believe it's a great construction, and we should be proud of it. At least we in the Commission are proud of can, our union. Can I add a sentence? Yes, please. I think you it was also, wasn't it, uh, Delors who said jokingly that you also have to be either genius or French to understand the construction <laughs> of it. But I, I propose something much more uh, sort of useful uh, to citizens, and that is Solutions United, like a football team. Did you hear what he said? I mean, he said so many things. It's almost as though he was reading the book of Daniel and then repeating it. Rome, unique. Never happened before. Now, he still didn't answer the question, you know. And this is the chairman. 
unique. You'd notice what he said about the empire. Not a supra. Remember, we had a preacher here that he says is a that you use a supra or a super nation. He says that's not true. The best way to describe it is to describe it as an empire. The way Daniel did. Not only that, he said empires were created. You remember Babylon? Taken over by the Medes and Persians to force. Greece took them over. Rome took them over. But this empire, he says, it's not a visual force. The leaders are going to voluntarily pool. Did you get that word? Pool their sovereignty. How in the world can you pool sovereignties? Is that what Daniel is talking about? About the combining with the seed of man? I don't know. But it's trying to combine something that cannot be combined. To me, there is nothing more I've read or studied anywhere than validates the prophecy of Daniel than that little interview by Barroso. And it tells me once again that the Bible is the word of God. The leaders are only actors right now, filling the roles that God has laid down. Now, he emphasized too the idea of the prophets and the, the could benefit from it. Later on, he talks about peace. One of the big reasons for all of this is for peace. And one of the primary objectives of the EU is to provide peace. Peace for both member, uh, member nations. And we're going to be talking about that because treaties are coming in now. Treaties are already in place. They try to bring peace amongst the nations who are part of this. And the latest one was one that was done up by the Palestinians and Israel. Now, it isn't a big peace. It's a little bit of peace. But you know how long it was for? Seven years. Now, this is not saying that this is a tribulation, but I'm saying the model is being laid down because they said never before in history has such short-term periods given for established any kind of relationship. The stage is being set. Now, a global government then has prophesied more than 700 year, years or so ago is being formed right now in our day as predicted with the same characteristics and with the same geographical entities only with newer and modern names. These current events confirm and validate, I believe, the authenticity and divine inspiration of the word of God. No prophet could have explained the EU more clearly than Barroso did. And it falls right in line with Daniel himself. But now, something else is, con is connected with this global government that's prophesied in the Bible. I want you to listen again as the prophet of God speaks to us from Revelation chapter 13. Verse 15. Revelation 13, verse 15. It was given to him... This is the Antichrist, the man of sin. 
to give breath to the image of the beast. This happens in the middle of the tribulation. So that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, I could bring all kinds of information from technology to show you that this is already possible for an image to be set up and to speak. All right? In fact, they have one in Japan now. You could even, you could even feel the moods can change. If you touch this particular robot, now, robot rather, this robot now, and you are angry, the robot becomes angry. If you're joyful, it becomes joyful. It changes color, says things. Isn't that amazing? This technology already exists, but that's not my point today. And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Notice, either or. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. Now, neither. And this is sometimes overlooked as well. Either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man. And his number is 666. Now, a lot of people think they have wisdom. Because everybody tried to calculate this number. And they come up with all kinds of names. I mean, just about everybody under the sun has been identified as the Antichrist. But that's because, again, I don't, because we don't read Scripture carefully. All right? Now, this is a phenomenal prophecy, by the way. Remember, this was prophesied some more than 2,000 years ago. There was absolutely no technology in existence or even before seen that would be able to do something like this for individuals to be tagged, identified, and being able to be prevented from doing something. That was unimaginable. It was just impossible for that to happen in his day. Notice now, the name or the number of the Antichrist, this is the number now. The number is 666. Notice what the text says. The number is that of a man. That simply means, and that's all of it means if you read the text. We could read it this way. The number is the number of a mere man. He's simply saying, this man is not God. This man is a man. It's his number. And by the way, it's not your number. It's not anybody else's number. It's his number. And it's the number of a man. He is not God. That's what he's emphasizing here. That's the point the prophet is making. He's a man who wants to be God. He wants to be looked like God. He wants to look like Christ. Even though he's not. He's got a number, and it's a number of a man. It's not a number of God. Now, here's how the number looks in Greek, to give you some idea of the true meaning of Antichrist. Because again, sometimes when we look at Antichrist, we see somebody, they're fighting Christ, you know. He's always against Christ. He's always that. But that's not really the thrust, although he will be against Christ, but that's not the focus of the name. The name really means, with the Greek characters, suedo, or false Christ. 
rather the one who opposes Christ, although he will oppose Christ. But really, it's an imitation Christ. It's a counterfeit Christ. That's the idea. It's a counterfeit. It's imitation. That's the emphasis. The, fo the real fo focus then is upon falsification, deceit, imitation, counterfeit. He is a counterfeit God. He wants to be like God. But he knows he can be, so he's going to be as close as possible to God, as far as looks are concerned. Notice again, it's his name and it's his number, not anyone else's. The point is, it, it identifies him for who he is. That's the point. It identifies him. He's just a mere man. That's all he is. Now notice verse 17. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So either one, you have the number or the name. Either one, not both, either one of them. That's another thing that's overlooked here. Now, I want you to see here that the focus really is not so much that he can prevent them from buying grocery. By the way, it has more of a wider connotation than that. This has to do with a worldwide economic idea. He's talking about preventing nations. Although it's individualized, this has to do with an economic thing. And we're going to see the reason for that in a later message. But the mark here that his worshippers will have to wear, it's either the name of the beast or the number of his name. It appears it could be either one or the other, but not necessarily both. Now, who is to show this mark? Notice what it says in verse 15. It was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. Why? So that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So in context, what the mark is for is to identify those who worship the beast. In other words, the mark is the identification of worshippers of the Antichrist. That's the focus. All the other things come along with it, but it's the identification of the worshippers of the Antichrist. It's those who worship him. In other words, it's to identify those who identify themselves with the Antichrist. I want you to notice, this won't happen until the middle of the tribulation period when the abomination and desolation is set up. That won't happen until the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's when it will happen. This. We get some ideas going to be for the whole time all over the place. But notice, I want you to see, it doesn't begin until the abomination of desolation is set up. And once that's set up, I am God, worship me. How are you going to identify those who worship me? They're going to have my name or my number imprinted on them. This will be one of the reasons for the this will be one of the major reasons for all of the killing and unbridled violence that will be unleashed against the Jewish people at that time especially. Those who refuse to have the mark will be killed. That's the point. Now how in the world did John expect for this to happen for these people to be branded? Again the technology was not there. In fact this technology has not existed until this century. 
It was impossible for these things to happen, humanly speaking, until the century in which we live. It could happen right now. The technology exists. The introduction of what is called the RFID and the biochip are the major contenders for making it possible for the man of sin to identify his worshippers. In fact, if you all are reading the paper right here in, in Boga Raton, I think it was, on May the 10th, three members of a rich family became the first people to receive a biochip implant so that they could be located wherever they are. And the reason why they did it with the children is because people were kidnapping people all over the place. And they wanted to be able to find their children. And so 10 members of this family were implanted with this very chip. Could be located wherever they may be. I'm trying to show you that it's happening right now. Here's a quote that might help you to understand what this is all about. He says, each device, that's the RFID or the very chip, made of silicon and called a very chip is a small radio transmitter about the size of a piece of rice that is injected under a person's skin. It transmits a unique personal ID number wherever it is within a few feet of a special receiver unit. You know when you go into the food store, you bring your item out and they put it across? That's the reader. The mark is already on the product. The very, chips, the very Chips maker describes it as a miniaturized, implantable radio frequency identification device. That's the RFID. That can be used in a variety of security, emergency, and healthcare applications. You see, that's what's being promoted now. You could use it for health reasons. And there are a lot of people, for instance, with diabetes or those who, who folk who are, uh, have problems remembering things and so on. These people are being implanted with these things already. It's already happening. There's a, there's a college now, university now, that's taking volunteer students to have it implanted with them then so they can test it out. And so wherever these students are on campus, wherever they are, they can be found, they can be located. They don't need any more keys, they don't need any more identification cards. All they have to do is brush up, just pass it, and the doors open for them. Is the biochip then the mark of the beast? to be used by the Antichrist. See, we don't know. Who knows? Something else even more spectacular might come about. What is, what is for sure, though, is that the Virtue can do the job that the Antichrist wants to do. And they're doing it because it might be, it'll secure them. It'll keep them safe. It's the same idea. Now, I want to give you a couple of short videos to show that this is happening in the world. And that's my point. We're going to regular, everyday happenings in the world today, current events, to show you that these prophecies that were written 2,000 years ago are coming alive right as we live. Watch these clips, please. When we go shopping, we often don't know much about the products that are being offered in the shops. Where were they produced, and how about the quality? More transparency for the consumer. That's what RFID is all about. It's a small tag attached to the products we buy that sends out information via radio waves to a reading device. Information about its date of manufacture, for example, the production place or the date of arrival in the supermarket. These crawfish, for instance, were caught in the Atlantic a couple of days ago. Then they were processed and transported to the supermarket next door. 
With RFID, one can track every single step a product takes on its way to the supermarket and even monitor the temperature during transportation. Experts are currently working on improving the RFID technology so RFID tags can be used for other functions such as in logistics. DHL as a transport company ensures the quality of the product which relates to the temperature and therefore it's for all temperature relative goods. It helps to ensure that the temperature uh, is in place all the time and the final customer gets a product which is fresh. RFID tags will provide consumers with information on all kinds of products. The ingredients in cosmetics, for example, or the fabrics that clothes are made from. And RFID tags will make traveling more comfortable. Has your suitcase ever been lost on a flight? With RFID, baggage can be tracked throughout the whole handling process, making it much safer. Today, 98% of bags are delivered correctly and the use of RFID will increase that percentage so customers can travel with greater confidence. At the same time, that 2% of bags that are currently mislaid are generally left behind for about one and a half days. Using RFID will speed that up so the passengers will be separated from their bags for less time. RFID will benefit the health sector in particular. A serious problem here is product counterfeiting, the counterfeiting of medication. Fake pharmaceutics often look exactly like the real ones. That's a big risk for doctors and patients. RFID can help. So what RFID technology actually can do, it can identify items and by that you can know exactly where has an item and pharmaceutical and product and medicine been produced, where has it been sent to, where has it been sold and who's using it. So RFID really makes that visible and by that you can differentiate between genuine items and faked items just with the normal knowledge to how the flow should be. RFID tags provide more security about providing the right treatment for patients. But how about the security of our data? If we buy products that carry the RFID tag, are we being tracked and profiled as well? I think the best thing will be now to do to protect consumers is first of all for consumers to be informed about when is RFID used, why is it used, by whom, for which purpose. And then consumers will be able to choose whether they want to use RFID, whether they want to keep it on, or whether they want to disable it and then protect their privacy. With RFID tags, we gain a better understanding of the products we buy and can make sure our food is fresh. RFID empowers the consumer and increases trust in the products we buy. RFID, the future begins now. As baby boomers grow older, more and more of their children will be forced to deal with the heartbreaking realities of Alzheimer's disease, forced to care for family members who lose precious memories, forced to worry about what might happen should they wander off and get lost. Well, now there's a company out of Florida that's offering a free microchip implant for Alzheimer's patients. It's to help emergency officials identify people who just really can't remember who they are anymore. Here's Phil Keating. 
Just like the microchips implanted in the necks of dogs and cats, allowing lost pets to be identified, this glass capsule can do the same for humans. In West Palm Beach, Florida, a hundred elderly men and women diagnosed with Alzheimer's are now walking around with microchips embedded under their skin. And more are on the waiting list. Alzheimer's Community Care offers this service for free. You've got a vulnerable person that is not always able to define what's wrong with them. And the, when you go into a, an emergency room, efficiency and effectiveness is the most important way of getting good treatment. Scott Silverman became one of the first to get the microchip injected into his arm, a miniature database with his name, address, and full medical history. His company, Verichip, has sold about 2,000 worldwide and is now working to get every hospital equipped with the proper scanning equipment. This technology is the only one out there in electronic medical record retrieval that is always guaranteed to be with a high-risk patient and provide their medical records at an emergency room situation. But not everybody likes this concept. Verichip won the approval of the Food and Drug Administration three years ago, but Antichips.com alleges the chips caused cancer in lab rats and make cattle out of humans. The notion of being trackable and taggable in that kind of a, a, a very creepy big brother way, I think gives most people the cold chills. Contacted by us, the FDA says it continues to monitor research done by Verichip as well as reports done about Verichip. But at this time, it stands by its approval, declaring there is no credible cause for concern about implanting these tiny microchips under your skin. In West Palm Beach, Florida, Phil Keating, Fox News. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a smaller version. Oh, you film? <laughs> okay. Before you was doing photos. trying to show that uh, how the implementation is done and it just goes on until it finishes but now remember what we're trying to do here is to show you that the technology that is required by the Antichrist to do what the Bible says he's going to do is here 
And we've been using it in some form or another for some time with pets in our schools and I mean in our food stores. But now it has moved in to people and they're readily doing it. We're being softened up, in other words. You know the story of you put a frog in the cold water in a pot on the stove and you just turn the heat on slowly and he'll stay there and boil to death. That's what's happening with us, with these things. All of these things are becoming as an everyday part of life. And it's good for us. Everything is good for us. So we'll have no problem doing it. Now, I have some others I want to show you, but I'm, I was not going to do it any tonight, but I think I will. I have two or three others I want to show you, other, but I won't. time is gone, so I won't do it anymore. I will do it this evening, although it isn't on the plan. I will find a spot for it. But here's my point. All of the things that we see here with the revived Roman Pyre, with the, with the mark of the beast and all of that, all of these things have to do with events around the tribulation time. But there's something that is very significant that's going to happen before then. And what is that? The rapture. The rapture is a signless event. We don't need any signs to tell us what's going to happen. However, just logic will tell you, if these things are going to happen after the rapture, and everything now has set the stage for them to happen, then how close is the rapture? Now I want you to show the last film that I want you to do, please. Just get ready for that one. Um, so our thinking right now here, really we should not be looking for the Antichrist. The believer should not be looking for the Antichrist. The believer should be looking for Jesus Christ. The real thing, not the counterfeit. The real thing. And he could come at any moment. The big question for all of us then, when it comes to Jesus Christ, and the any moment return of Jesus Christ is, are you rapture ready? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... laugh at that but that depicts reality bow with me please just before we have our offering are you rapture ready have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ if not this morning right now we invite you to do that right where you are just simply acknowledge that you are a sinner that Jesus Christ died in your place on Calvary's cross, was raised again for your justification. And you are trusting him right now. You're placing your faith, your reliance upon him and him alone as the basis of your salvation. Our redemption draws near. 
Christ could come right now. Let us know then if you received him today as your Savior.